morning, Village Bible Church, Aurora Campus. It's good to, good to be here with you this morning. Um, did anybody share earlier, and I just missed it, about Fran and, and Paula? Did we give an update on them? So I know I was wondering when I walked in, and, and uh, Patty told me that uh, uh, Fran is, is at Macaulay Manor, I believe, and uh, with 18 broken bones, and uh, so she's got a long way of recovery, and that uh, Paula is home, right? And um, so continue praying for, for both of them. But uh, I'm uh, here in Travis's uh, place this morning. Uh, Travis on vacation, and I'm not sure if he, what church he's at this morning, but wanted an opportunity to uh, worship somewhere else, and uh, just uh, get away. It's sometimes neat to see how uh, other people are doing church, and then sometimes just nice to be somewhere you don't have any responsibilities and uh, can just be there and sit in the pews and, and worship. And so, so I'm wondering if anybody wants to go with me afterwards, we can TP his house or paint his, <laughs> paint his trees red or something like that. But, uh, uh, but I'm glad to be here. And uh, I do have to apologize. After I'm done, I am leaving pretty quickly. Uh, I've got a Another uh, commitment over at the Sugar Grove campus that follows right on the tails of this, so I won't be able to hang out for very long, but I apologize for that. So, uh, many of you know, uh, many of you were praying, I believe, this past, uh, let's see, this is August, so uh, two months ago in June, uh, as we took a team to Uganda, right, to, uh, for the fourth time, uh, to serve alongside of ministry partners there. I had an opportunity to, to lead that team. Uh, my son, who's uh, sitting in the back row, was, was with me as well. Uh, with a team uh, from our church, and uh, so thanks for those of you who, who prayed for that, and uh, just working alongside the Juno Magara ministry, uh, which I think many of you have gotten to know in, in different ways. We've taken, uh, was it last Christmas, we took a special Christmas offering that went uh, partly towards uh, building a school and an orphanage for uh, orphans in southwest Uganda. Uh, several of you here sponsor uh, children through the Juno Magara ministry that's uh, orphans in Uganda, and I think uh, Godfrey and Reverend Ben have been here in the last year or two uh, sharing as well. So we've got a lot of connections, and uh, just interesting, you know, th those of you who do sponsor kids, it's interesting to meet them and see the huge impact. You know, sometimes from afar, we think about, well, it's, you know, it's, uh, maybe it's a ploy to raise money for these ministries, and the reality is, uh, without, those, without you as a sponsor, those kids, uh, for the most part, would not be in school. They'd be doing manual labor. They'd be digging ditches or working in fields. And uh, so it's a really, really neat to see how God's working through, uh, through that, through your partnership and through your providing and your prayers and just some really cool stuff uh, to be a part of. Every time I go, I'm, I'm really more and more amazed with the work that God's doing. And just, it's just neat when you think about the opportunity that he gives us to partner with him in different ministries like that. So next year, We'll be there the, uh, the last two weeks of June, all right? And so I'm inviting you now, this is your official invitation, to come with us, all right? Next year, last two weeks of June, you can come with us. And I'm thinking that we'll get, I don't know, maybe not everybody here will come, right? But maybe we'll get six or seven or eight of you, maybe more. And uh, so I'm going to start off, because I think it's relevant to our topic today, uh, sharing with you, uh, especially those eight of you, let's say, who are going to come, all right? So Carl... And we bring you along and, and the other seven. Uh, I want you guys to think about your first 24 hours. I want you to think about uh, kind of a heads up. Uh, because really, your first 24 hours in Uganda. Has anybody, anybody here been in Uganda? Okay, Dave and Emily are waving their hands back in the, in the cry room. All right, Dave and Emily. But nobody else. It, the first 24 hours are, 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 are uh, really 
shocking, to be honest with you. It's, it's, uh, it's shocking for your first experience there as you land, as you, as you drive through the towns and through the villages. And uh, you, you're shocked because of the things that are missing. You see uh, kids with, shattered, with uh, tattered clothes, kids with no shoes, kids, a lot of kids with no parents. Uh, you see homes with 8, 12, 13 people that uh, the homes are about the size, maybe just a little bit bigger than the uh, bedrooms that most of our children have in, in our homes here. And you say, how do you fit 12 people in a house the size of uh, one of my kids' bedrooms? You, you recognize there's, there's no running water in most places, there's no electricity, um, things that, uh, that we just take for granted. People that walk, you know, it sounds like our grandparents, right, or our parents that walk one to two miles uh, just to get to school or to get to a small plot of land that they are able to farm. They may own it. They may uh, share crop it. Just uh, the, real, the real lack of, of things. Certainly no such thing as, uh, as indoor plumbing and uh, things of that nature that we're used to. So you, you, you're shocked by how little they have, right? But, but then if you fast forward, maybe four days, maybe five days into your journey that you're there, you realize that the sympathy and the pity that you felt on day one gets, uh, gets replaced with, with surprise because you realize that uh, this surprise that even though these people have so little, right, you realize that they're, they're happy, that they're finding a, a true joy in, in the simple things, in, in the family, in friends, in God, the things that, uh, that are really important. And then you start thinking back to home, right? So you're, you're, you're surprised that how are these people, how are they happy with so little? That doesn't make sense. Then you start thinking back to home and about how much we have. And you think about uh, uh, the fact that uh, back here, we and those around us, there's so many people that are, that are burdened, that are discouraged, depressed, and uh, just overwhelmed. Even though we've got all this stuff, uh, we seem so unhappy. And so you start to think, well, who you know, who has, uh, who has the real uh, equation, the real answer for happiness? Uh, so there you do see, I forgot those pictures were up there. That's a, that is a home uh, for about, uh, I think about 14 people live in that home. And uh, it's not much bigger. There is a little bit that goes off the screen, but not much. And uh, it's a small, it's a small place. So it's just one of the things God's been hammering me on a lot this past year is the fact that our, our Western culture is so so caught up in the pursuit of our own earthly kingdoms, right, that we really and truly, if you think about it, could care less about God's kingdom. And that's, that's, a, frightening, that's a frightening thought. It's frightening because Scripture tells us that our pursuit of money not only is, is false security, but it's also a huge barrier, right, to the kingdom, the kingdom of God. As I think about it, I think our culture is is addicted to money. I think we are addicted uh, to money. And I think about, uh, think about addictions. You know, we could, we could talk about a, a cocaine user or we could talk about a cigarette user. You know, maybe that's a little closer to home. Whatever the addiction is, uh, those people both know that their addiction is going to kill them, right? The, the, even the cigarette user knows their addiction will kill them at some point. Uh, they know that the high that they're looking for is short-lived. Uh, they get a drug that promises much, whatever it is, and, and delivers very little. And yet we still, we still believe the lie, right? We still believe somehow 
that we're going to uh, be different or that uh, uh, we end up consuming more and more trying to chase after this lie, choosing to believe it. And we do the exact same thing with, with money. We believe that the sportier car, the bigger house, the better paying job, the new clothes, that those things will bring us joy, right? But, but why? It's interesting. Why do we believe it? Is it by experience? You know, think back to the last car that you bought, and it was great, right, for about two weeks, and then it became pretty normal. And uh, the time you took it to the mechanic the first time, it was real normal, and it's just a car. Um, you know, we think about the, uh, maybe the, the house that, w- that we bought that was bigger and better, but it comes with bigger and better problems, right? It also comes with more space to store more stuff, which creates more time and hassle to deal with all the stuff that we have, or, or the new job that comes with more responsibilities and more time at the office, maybe a bigger tax tab. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day about their new running shoes, and they were great. You know, I said, well, do you, do you find yourself running more? Well, no, they really don't run anymore. The shoes still sit in the closet just as much as the old shoes. But we think uh, these shoes are going to be different. Somehow they're going to make us and make it easier to run, and it, and it really uh, doesn't. Uh, we believe uh, that, you know, the it's close to home for me, I suppose, and maybe some of you, that the latest version of our, our phone, if it's the 4 or the 5 or the S, somehow that's going to change our life, right? And it, it doesn't. We look back and, and we bought it, but it didn't change, it didn't change our life. So we have no, no track record of the n- new things bringing this great joy and change our lives, and yet, uh, and yet we believe uh, somehow they will. You know, so the question that, that I've been wrestling with, especially when you're in Uganda, is the question of how much how much is enough? You know, how much is really enough? So I want you to think, you don't have to blurt out this answer. You can if you want, but, uh, but think how much if, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if Scott's boss came up to him tomorrow and if, if your boss came up to you, if you're a working individual and said, you know what, this, this, this company isn't made out of money, but, but we really appreciate you, Scott, and, uh, and we want to take care of you and your family. And uh, I know from talking to you, there's, there's some needs that you're not able to meet right now. And uh, what, what would it take? And so what would it take if somebody, your boss came up to you and said, what would it take? Uh, how much would you need for j- just to be able to meet the needs and, and just feel like you could have a little bit of breathing room? How much, how much would it take? So how much, how much would it take? I want you to think about the answer. How much would you respond? You know, you can't say a million dollars because that's not, you know, that's not realistic. But, but you're given a real opportunity. How much more do you need? So as you have that number, I'm trusting that you have some number in your head. I'm going to read to you uh, Bill and Melinda Gates. Right? They have a foundation, right? A, uh, and they did a study that just came out. Uh, let's see if I have the date on it. came out uh, this past March. And uh, they examined the response. They talked to what they considered ultra-rich people. All right? So ultra-rich, uh, by Bill and Melinda Gates' definition, was people who had a uh, a net worth of $25 million or more. $25 million. I mean, that's pretty ultra-rich, right? That's pretty rich to me. $25 million or more. And uh, they wanted to interview and had a lot of questions for these, uh, these ultra-rich people. And at the end of the day, they spent a significant amount of time with 120 ultra-rich people, all right? And uh, I know you're thinking like me. It's like, all right, well, if, if I have $25 million, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, life is pretty easy. Uh, easy to be happy, right? Things are good. And uh, here's, here's the response, though. This is what the report says uh, from, from uh, their study. It says this, the respondents, 
these 120 ultra-rich people, turned out to be a generally dissatisfied lot whose money has contributed to deep anxieties involving love, work, and family. Indeed, they're frequently dissatisfied even with their sizable fortunes. Most of them still do not consider themselves financially secure. All right, 25 million are not financially secure. For that, they say, would require, on the average, one quarter more wealth than they currently possess. So they're almost there, right? 25 million, they just need another five, and then they'll be financially secure. And uh, so, you know, I read that, I'm like, how in the world could they, could they say that? And, uh, but then, and, we, and I see a lot of you laughing just like I did, but then you think back to the question I just asked you, and my guess is if you're like me, your response, Scott's response to his boss may be, uh, you know, I, I really just need a little bit more, maybe, maybe, maybe 25% raise, that would really take care of the things that we're struggling with, give us a little cushion. I'm just guessing that most of you probably would say something around 25 to 35%. That's what I need. And, uh, you know, the reality is we probably said that uh, 20 years ago when, uh, when my income was, you know, what, 70% less than it is today as a, as a young man out of college. And so that 25% has come and gone, and I'd still say the same thing. Uh, billionaire, multi-billionaire Howard Hughes. Remember him? Uh, his biographer said this said he had a grand and miserable life. He described Hughes, uh, and I'll just quote him, he said, described him as this pilot, genius, inventor, moneymaker, filmmaker. Hughes wore a dozen hats and excelled at everything except living. And it says from a non-Christian secular biographer writing about Howard Hughes. Uh, Rockefeller summed up this grand, miserable life. He said, the poorest man I know is a man who has nothing but money. And uh, last quote I'll share on this, uh, Miguel Marsh, a, a guy from Australia. I don't know much about the guy. I ran across him on a TED's talk. If any of you are familiar with these TED's talks, you talk for 10 minutes about something. And, and uh, this guy said this. You know, you've probably heard similar type things. Uh, it hits home. He said, often uh, people work long, hard hours at jobs they hate to earn money to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. And uh, th there's truth to that, right? We, we're addicted to this, uh, this pursuit of money. We believe this lie that uh, it's going to, you know, just a little bit more is going to us, bring us happiness and uh, then everything will be, everything will be good. Uh, the, well, I want to get you to think about the fact that uh, we're, really, we're really rich. We have, we have far more than we need. Even though we look at all the challenge, and we have far more than we need. I want you to put up a, uh, the graph here. Uh, this, is a, this is a graph of, if you took the world, this is what this organization did, it took the world and uh, the household incomes of, uh, of people across the world and said, okay, if you break them up into 100, what would it be, 100, uh, 100 percentiles, 100 little categories, uh, with this down here in the bottom right being the poorest household income and up at the top left, being the richest, all right? So if you're in the top left, you're in the richest 100th of the world. Down here, I'll fall off the side, you're in the, uh, in the, in the poorest, right? So, so the question is, where do, you, where do you need to be to be happy? So individually, where do you need to be on this graph to be happy? And I'm guessing none of us, maybe there's some really pietistic people that say, you know what, I can be happy down here at the bottom, 
most of us are going to be somewhere else, right? I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we don't all have to be in the top 100 percentile, but probably somewhere, uh, somewhere in there. So where, where do you need to be? What's, uh, what's important for you? Where would you find happiness? How much, how much is enough? And uh, so I want to I show you where you're at, all right? So you can see if you, if you fit that uh, original assumption. So let's take a person that's, uh, that's working, maybe a hardworking person, working 40 hours a week, uh, but working at a minimum wage job. That person's going to, uh, to earn about $15,000 a year, all right? So um, if you can uh, flip over to that next one here. Okay, let's put in $15,000. And uh, see where that comes up in this ranking from poorest to the richest. All right, back and forth. Pretty high, right? The person here with $15,000 annual income ends up in the top 7%, uh, the 93rd percentile compared to the rest of the world, 15000 So um, we think, boy, 15000 is is not much, but in the scope of the world, it's a lot. If we, uh, if we move forward on that and, um, and say, let's, let's say that person uh, gets married and uh, that person, uh, they, they marries a hardworking, works 40 hours a week, minimum, minimum wage, and moves you up to $30,000 as a household, right? So things are, you know, we'd say they're still tight, but let's see how that compares uh, to the rest of the world. Pretty good, right? Top 1%, uh, 1.1. So... There's some people that are richer, but uh, compared to the rest of the world, the world's looking up to that household and saying, man, they are on the top. Uh, Illinois, uh, average household income last year was, I think, $64,000. Uh, if, we, if we just take something less than that, I think, uh, let's put $50,000 uh, in there, and let's see where that, uh, where that comes up to. And then we'll stop with this one. $50,000. And you can stop it. You can, we can stop with that one. So $50,000. If your household income is $50,000, you're in the top 0.28%. So if, if you take that to thousands, out of 1,000 people representing the world, you're in the top three, right? You're in the top three at a $50,000 annual income. It's, it's huge. Right, so I know some of the reality is over sixty percent of the world lives on two dollars a day or less, two dollars a day or less all right so that that's the lower side of that number, and uh, you know I know Daryl's back there saying, yeah, but two dollars a day I couldn't even pay my property tax for my house so life life is a little more expensive here than in Zimbabwe right and uh, and that's true, but I still want us to realize that we are we are filthy rich when it comes down to the world. So I'm going to prove it to you, all right? Um, if you get out a piece of paper or your bulletin or your notes and a, and a pencil, I've got, a, I've got an assignment for you. We're going to walk through together. Um, Andy Stanley, a guy may, maybe many of you know, pastor down in Atlanta, uh, I've heard him use this phrase, uh, rich people problems. And you and I both have rich people problems. And, and so with your paper and pencil, I'm going to give you a test, all right? And you can, you can we'll, we won't have you... Uh, We'll award a prize here at the end, but we'll see how many uh, points you get. So each one you can say yes to. Just uh, make a, you know, a little tick mark so we can add them up at the end, all right? If you can say yes to any of these questions, um, keep score. Rich people problems. Okay, the first one. Can you answer yes to this? Running out of wrapping paper to wrap gifts. 
That's a rich person problem, right? You, you, one, you've bought a gift, and two, you've got wrapping paper to wrap it in. That's a rich person problem. Uh, add your, give yourself a one if you can say yes to that. Figuring out, number two, where to put the money you're saving to pay for college after the kids leave home. Right? So that assumes you have some extra money to save for kids who are going to go to college, which is a big, uh, big uh, assumption there, and uh, that they'll actually leave home. Give yourself a point if you can say yes to that. Okay, we can all probably say yes to this, uh, sadly so. Throwing away food because it's spoiled before you could eat it. That's a rich person problem. Number four, replacing the electric door opener for your garage. All right, so a lot built into that. You've got a garage, you've got a car, you've got electricity. Uh, that's a rich person problem. Five, debating how to use the weeks that you'll get paid for not showing up to work. So that's vacation, right? That's paid vacation. You're deciding how you're going to use that time. Uh, we mentioned this earlier. Give yourself a point for this. If you replace version 4 of your phone with version 5 of the same exact phone, that's a rich person problem. You regularly change the color of the walls in your home. Right? That's, that's a rich person problem. Next, you push a button to dry clothes instead of waiting for the sun to come up. A lot of us can give ourselves a point for that, right? Okay. And again, we all get this. I'm not sure who gets the grand prize on this question, but uh, you got up this morning, and uh, Chuck Gillette came up to me and uh, made sure I had shoes on. And uh, all of us got up this morning and put shoes on, right? So the, the rich person's problem is when you went to get your pair of shoes, you had to decide which pair of shoes to wear. Between one, two, three, maybe some of you have 20 pairs of shoes. Jimmy, you're getting the elbow. You must have a lot of shoes, huh? <laughs> yeah? All right. So, how, you know, so that's, that's definitely a rich person problem. You got into it. Most, most kids don't have any shoes, and uh, a lot of adults don't either. Um, two more. Uh, you have a spare bedroom for guests to sleep in. That would be an unusual rich person problem. And the last one, you get extra credit, double points for this one. Guessing Jonathan's going to answer yes to this one, but I'm not sure. Your, your pet is wearing the same outfit that you're wearing. <laughs> you get extra credit if that. I don't know, Jonathan, but um, that's, that's really a rich person problem, right? So, so it's kind of funny, but the reality is we think about uh, these things, and most of them we say, okay, are these really problems? Yeah, but those are things that we're dealing with that certainly uh, somebody on the lower end of that spectrum isn't even, isn't even beginning to think about. So the reality is we're, we're really rich. As David prayed earlier, we are in that, <laughs> we're in that top one or two or three percentile in regards to the world. We are rich people, and yet, and yet we're not happy, right? So that's my point is, is to bring that out, not to say, man, you're rich. You, you, we need to be living life different. We do, but the reality is uh, we need to look at when it comes to God's way, uh, for our finances, for our generosity, for our life, there's, there's a better way. So uh, the alternative is, is an extravagant, I would say, generosity. So we'll have some, uh, I think on your, on your sermon outline, you've got some uh, dichotomies, some, some comparisons, what culture says, what Jesus says. Uh, the first one uh, says this, uh, our culture says if we invest we should, we should invest for 30 years of retirement, right? We, we all know that we're, we're going to retire someday, hopefully, and we're going to need money to live on. Uh, but Jesus takes a little bit different approach in Matthew 6. 
Uh, it says invest for not 30 years, but invest for 30 million years. Invest for it, eternity. You know, it's interesting. If we really believe this book, if we really believe God's word, uh, the Bible, we would we'd never be so short-minded. It's just amazing. We invest loads of energy on the next 50 years and then ignore the fact that now is our time to invest for the next 50 million. We invest so much in the short frame and ignore the long term. We can't even fathom God's economy, right? But uh, I'm going to use an example. Um, I don't know who I'm going to use for my example on this. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I don't know, I'm going to go back to Jonathan because he seems like a good one to pick on. So, Jonathan gets a call, all right, from, uh, if we talk about money, we've got to talk about Donald Trump, right? So, Jonathan gets a call from Donald Trump. They're they're Facebook buddies and stuff, and, and, uh, and Donald Trump says, Jonathan, I really, I really need you for this project I've got coming up. It's a it's a big project, biggest project I've ever uh, undertaken. It's gonna it's gonna be huge, and uh, I need an engineer that's got the abilities that you've got, and uh, really you I need you. I need you to be on this job for me. Nobody else will do. I need you, and uh, you know let's assume Trump is an honest guy. I don't know him, so I'm guessing maybe he is, and uh, and he and he's honest with Jonathan. And he says, but I gotta I gotta tell you the truth here. It's it's gonna be a one year project, and it's gonna be really hard. It's going to be really hard. I'm going to need everything you've got. And uh, it's going to be long hours. It's going to be exhausting. I'm not even going to have time to spend the salary, the paycheck that I give you. Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be tough work. But Trump says that he guarantees him. He says it's going to be worth it in the end. Uh, it's going to be, you're going to have huge payout in the end. He says, uh, I guarantee you, Jonathan, that at the end of this 12 months, if you can do this for me and give it all you got, um, the payout's going to be big. It'd be at least a million dollars a year or more for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, you'll be taken care of. I just need you to invest 12 months, and, and things will be, be easy after that. I don't know, but I'm guessing Jonathan would probably say, tell me more, right? And if he doesn't, Trudy would say, tell us more, and, uh, right? Because, I mean, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good deal, right? And, uh, you know, the reality is that uh, the hundred years of this life, you know, my comparison with that, you know, Donald Trump needs 12 months so he'll take care of, of the Winslow family for the next 80 years. But yet God says, I give you, a, how many years do we have? Let's say 100 years uh, at most, right? I'm going to give you 100 years. This is your training ground. This is your time to, to invest in my kingdom for eternity, you know, for 100 million, more than that, right? Eternity goes on and on and on. Uh, Matthew 6.20, it says, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in or steal. And then there's other verses. Uh, we, we just got done with First Peter. Remember at the beginning of 1 Peter 1, also in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, it talks about heaven being forever, right? It's not for 100 years. It's forever. It goes on and on and on. And uh, so we read it. We hear it preached. But, but I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that we believe it. I'm not convinced some days that, that I believe it. If I was, if I really believed it, why would I pursue the things I pursue? Why would I spend the time on the things I, I spend the time on? Why would I be tempted to buy, you know, that, that new phone, that nicer house, that nicer motorcycle, whatever 
whatever fits whatever fits in the gap. And we're talking about finances, but really, if we really believe the eternal nature of heaven and the eternal nature of the rewards in heaven, you know, it would affect our life, not just in the way we give, but it would affect us in the way that we live, right? It would affect us. I remember last year, a couple years ago, the kids in the youth group were reading a book called Do Hard Things. I haven't read the book, all right? So, but I'm guessing the focus of the book is to do hard things, right? It's, uh, it's, it, we do hard things for God because, uh, because God's called us to do it out of love for him. And if we really believe the eternal nature of, of, of heaven and of God's rewards, then, then we would do the hard things, right? We would do them now on this earth because this earth is, is short. Uh, we, would, we would do the things that we say we can't endure. You know, some of you say, I can't endure a hardship for the next 50 years. I can't, I can't handle this for the next 50 years. But in the light of, of eternity, of 50 million years, we, you know, that's a big light in the tunnel, right? We, you know, what would, what would be the hardship of, of choice? Maybe somebody here who is married to a really tough spouse to, to live with and says, you know, I can't, I can't live with this person for another 50 years. That, that's eternity. But the reality is eternity, you know, is obviously much longer. We can be obedient to God in the love to our spouse. We can stand up for what's, what's godly in an ungodly world that may be attacking us all around where it's hard. We say, well, can I, can I endure this another day, another week, another year, another decade? And uh, if we really believe that, that our reward is in, in heaven forever, we can, we can do that, right? Sacrificing the good life in this world for the good life to come. I mean, seriously, if we really believe the scripture that says that our life is like the grass that withers and fades away, we can do, it says it fades away in the blink of an eye, right? Just fades away like that. And we see it, right? Grass, grass withers, it fades away, it's gone. If our lives are really like that, uh, we can, we're going to change our lives. Uh, I remember, I don't know if Chad's doing this. Where's Chad at? He's back there somewhere. There he is. Chad, I had a friend uh, that, that a couple years ago got me, talked into doing this, uh, this workout uh, CrossFit, and Chad was going to come join us for that. He never did, so I don't know what happened to him. But, um, but I was 40, and he told me I need to start working out, and I knew it, and so I started. And, you know, the, the reality, though, um, is it's a good workout, and it's, it's broken down into thirds. I'm not going to go into details, but the last third is what they call the workout of the day or the daily wad, and it's, it's hard, right? It's uh, every every day I walk in and I see what the workout of the day is going to be at the end of the workout. I'm like, it's it's impossible. How are we going to do that? And uh, and then when we're in the middle of it. I really think this is impossible. How am I going to get through this? But the reality is that part of the workout's really only about 20 to 25 minutes. And in the midst of it, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get done with this, but I can do anything for 20 minutes, right? And that's kind of my how I keep going through. I'm like, and we can, we can do anything for for 20 minutes if we know. Uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, we can, do, we can do a lot, right? And the reality is in this life, there's, there's a huge light at the end of our tunnel, right? And it's, it's Jesus Christ in eternity with him. It's a huge light, and that's the light that propels us to say, you know, I can do it for the next 20 minutes. I can do it for the next 20 years because there's a huge, a huge light at the end of the tunnel. But, but here's when I think about generosity, and uh, I know some of you could stand up and give great testimony to this. Um, 
the cool thing is that God doesn't just say your blessing, your reward will come 50 or 100 years from now when you're with me in heaven. He says you're going to be blessed. I'm going to bless your socks off here in this world as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9. Let's read uh, a couple of verses in the middle of there. It says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So, you know, we can give sparingly or we can give, we can give generously and we'll be rewarded accordingly, right? The verse said, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. When we give sacrificially, God, God resupplies what we've given and increases our capacity to give. You know, it's not the whole, the whole health and wealth uh, prosperity gospel that give a dollar and God's going to give you ten. That's not what he's promising, but he is promising to be faithful and to grow as, as we take steps to grow in our generosity and in our ability to give. God blesses us and gives us maybe not more stuff, but more ability to grow and be more, more generous. Uh, somebody said the more you give, it's true, the more you're blessed and the more you can give. You know, God blesses you and gives you opportunity to give more. It may not mean he gives you lots more money, but he may. He may give you other things to give away. And, uh, and I think about, I've been in, I've been in uh, this role, as, or in a, a role as a pastor within Village Bible Church for uh, a little over eight years. And I remember um, nine, ten years ago when, when I was asked to consider stepping in this role. I, our, my wife and I, our first response was, was no way. And uh, there were a lot of reasons, and we had lots of good excuses. You know, we weren't mature enough in age and in and, and wisdom and in spiritual maturity, lots of, lots of things that sound good. We were just not ready. Uh, but people kept saying, well, no, it's, it's okay. God will, God will take care of those things. And when it came down to the end, we realized that the real root of the issue was that we were, we were finding security in, in the things of this world. I didn't want to step away. I had a, had a great job that paid well, that I could, I could do well. It was a, a company that I was given an opportunity to run, and it was great. And, um, and that seemed secure, right? Going to be a pastor in a church that uh, at that time, the average tenure of a pastor at the Sugar Grove campus was about three years. I thought, that seems really foolish. And, um, you know, for, for Kate and I both, it felt like, well, that's a foolish financial decision and uh, the reality is um, you know at the end of the day it was it was my wife that said you know what I think God's leading us to do that and I'd rather be obedient doing what I don't want to do than doing what I want to do in disobedience to God and we have to trust that he'll he'll provide not to say um, you know I remember we she said but I really don't want to move I really like where we live and I don't all the things you think you're going to have to give up right and uh, and the reality is God's been faithful we haven't moved we haven't I don't feel like we've given up a whole lot. The reality is I think God sometimes, uh, as you're faithful to God, gives you an ability. He may give you more money to make it stretch, or he may give you an ability to stretch the dollars further, right? I think uh, for, for my family, God's given my wife an ability to take less dollars and stretch them further. Uh, you know, maybe I really believe there are times when, when our bank account could not handle 
a breakdown of a car or an appliance that uh, things keep working and uh, God's faithful to meet the needs. Things still break down, but we've seen God be so faithful over over the years as He's He's provided and given us abilities and continued to give us opportunities to be to be generous in spite of it. So I'll give you another one. Culture says consume just a little bit more, right? That ultra-rich person that's like, just need a little bit more, just another four or five million and I'll be good. Um, that's not a little bit to us, but to them it was. The culture says consume just a little bit more, and Jesus says give more away. He does. He says give it away. When it comes to happiness, it's countercultural, right? Matthew 6.33 says seek first the kingdom of God, right? So he tells us seek first the kingdom of God, but if you go up uh, 12 verses in Matthew 6. Uh, he tells us that wherever our money is, what? There our hearts, our hearts will be. Another way of saying that is my heart goes where I put God's money. My heart grows wherever I put God's money. By telling us that our hearts follow our treasure, Jesus is saying, and you've heard this maybe before, you know, give me your, your bank statement, your credit card statement, your... Uh, whatever shows your spending, and I'll show you uh, where your heart, where your heart is at. If we put our God's money into fancy cars, our heart is probably for fancy cars, right? If we're putting our God's money into a luxury home, our heart's probably going to be in our home and their things. Um, I heard somebody say this, and you'll laugh, but we all do things like this. Uh, we all justify. A person said, "You know, there's that scripture that says God loves a cheerful giver." Right? That's true, right? He says, and I'm, I'm just not a cheerful giver. And, and so in his mind, he's saying, you know what? I'm not going to give if I'm not cheerful. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want me to give my money when I'm not feeling happy about it. But, you know, the reality is, uh, Matthew 6, 21 says your heart is a follower. So don't go with your heart. Your heart's never right. Your heart's always following. Your heart follows where your treasure is at. So suppose, uh, suppose you buy... Uh, shares of, uh, I don't know what it would be, shares of, of Google. Gary decides to buy some shares in Google, or maybe uh, somebody else is going to buy Apple because they're a big Apple fan. But the reality is, next week, as Gary's looking at the paper or reading things online, things are gonna, he's going to notice things about Google that he didn't notice a week ago, right? Uh, he's going to be more attentive to the things that he's invested in. Uh, the same thing is true if you're sponsoring a child in Uganda, or if you are paying to plant churches in India, you're going to be more attentive when something comes on the news about India. If there's something that, a big storm that impacts a lot of people in India, you're going to be considering where are the churches that I've helped sponsor, or how are they impacted? Your heart goes, goes where your money is at. Remember when I was still in the corporate world and Kate and I were, were, were married, we were uh, without kids, we were both you know, working and low expenses, both had incomes, and uh, back in the late 90s, right, the, if, if you aren't too young, you remember that the, the market was just booming then, right, and it was, a, it was a fun place to invest in, and I remember our priorities were out of whack, and uh, we were investing every extra dollar we had in our 401ks and in our, uh, in our portfolios and saying, no, this is, and it was, it was fun, yeah, every day I'd go online, look and see, well, how much is it worth today? So to be honest with you, some days I'd look two or three times and say, man, look, it's gone up, it's gone up. And, um, but that was my focus. And it was, it was out of focus. And then in 2000, when, when the market crashed and we lost 
good half of what was in there, uh, began to see, okay, maybe there's not so much joy and excitement in the market. I began to lose my interest. And then a couple years later, the market crashed again and uh, lost even more. And, and the great thing, I know some people were really impacted adversely. I don't want to make light of it, but for us in our life, I'm glad that the market crashed because it caused me to realize that my priorities were in the wrong place. It caused me to realize that there, there's no hope in those things. And today, I don't know, I was, I was thinking last, a couple weeks ago, how long has it been since I've looked at a 401k statement? There's still something in there. I can't tell you how much because I, I've lost my priority for it. God's taken that away uh, through, those, through those crashes and realizing that this, this is just not as much excitement and, uh, and hope as, as I put in it. So scripture talks about it, as sure as, as sure as a compass needle points, or is north, that way, right? As sure as the compass points north, uh, our heart follows. Our heart follows where we put our money, where we put our finances. I heard somebody say, I wish I had more of a heart for missions. I just wish I did. Well, God gives us the answer for that, right? Invest your dollars in missions. Find a missionary. Find Megan. Find another missionary who's, uh, who's short on their financial support and start investing, and your heart will go uh, towards those things as you as you invest. So we talked earlier about how God has just blessed us with incredible financial wealth. We don't realize it, and yet He's given us great great opportunity. Countercultural culture says ease your conscience and uh, give some money, right? And Jesus says it a little different. Experience joy, give your money, and yourself. anybody anybody know the the missionary Amy Carmichael? Who knows her name? Raise your hand. Some of you do. Right, Amy Carmichael, just a really interesting lady uh, who was a missionary in India. She opened an orphanage and uh, served there for 55 years. I think she never even went home. She stayed there for 55 years. And uh, if you don't know her life story, it would be a good one to pick up her biography and read about her. And uh, one of the things that, that she was quoted as saying was this. She said, I think it's really good. She said, you can give without loving but you can't love without giving. And that's really good. That's what it comes down to. Generosity is about our money, but it's about more than our money. It's about our time. It's about our energy. James 1.27, anybody know what that is? Anybody give me a, what's that talking about? Anybody? Anybody? James 1.27 is the verse that talks about caring for, for widows and orphans, right? It says this, pure and undefiled religion and the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. And it's interesting, you know, it, it talks about why we go to visit orphans in Uganda or China or Haiti. That's why we set aside, you know, benevolence fund to help widows in our church. But the thing that I think is interesting about that James one twenty seven, it doesn't say... Um, it doesn't say pure and undefiled religion is this, to take care of the needs of widows and orphans in their distress. The real Greek word has a literal meaning. It says to, to look after, upon, to examine, to inspect with your eyes with the intent to help. So it's different than just giving money, right? We can give money to a person in need pretty easily. It's harder to give up our time, right? But that verse is saying we, we need to be involved with uh, giving in ways that we're there, we're present, we're involved, we're giving of ourselves, we're giving of our time. Um, and I don't, I don't know about you, but it's easier for me to give, even though I don't want to give, a, I may not want to give away a $100 bill to something, it's easier to do that than it is 
to give the money and to take it there and, uh, and, to, and to deliver it, to invest time with the person in need. Some of you, some of the, uh, some of the families in the Sugar Grove campus as well help uh, refugee families, right? And it's, it's one thing to buy things at the store uh, to help situate their new home. It's another to go and give it to them. And it's another to go and actually invest time and energy getting to know them and their needs. And, uh, but that's what, that's what real generosity is about. It's about more than just our money. Um, so you think, about, you think about generosity also even in your, in your workplace, right? I think about uh, the people who I've worked with who I would consider generous and I enjoy working with are, aren't those that necessarily are generous with their money, but they're generous with the way they share the praise, right? They, uh, they may have done a great job, but they share that praise with others. Or maybe a boss who, instead of lording it over the people that uh, report to him, treats them as equals and, and serves alongside them and doesn't speak as if he's better than them, but speaks as an equal. Or maybe even gives them praise that, uh, that he deserves, the opportunity to, to really be generous and uh, in all aspects of our life. The last one, uh, culture says Christians are stingy. And Jesus said, I'll give it all. And he did. He did give it all, right? It's the awesome example of Jesus who was, was rich in heaven. And he, he, does, he becomes poor, right? He made himself nothing so that we in this room could be poor no, he didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't make himself nothing so we could be poor. We're here this morning because someone left his riches and came down and gave us a pretty awesome life, and not just in this life, but in the life to come. As followers of Christ, our, our desires should be that in all of us, to say, wow, look what, look what Christ did for me. I'd love to empty myself and help these peoples. If it's the refugees next door to us, if it's orphans in Uganda, if it's uh, somebody else, that I'd love to empty myself and give to these people, the response of, of having uh, given our life over to God. heard somebody say, I forget who it was, but uh, that if we would really be generous, if we gave just financially, which we're talking about a lot more than that, but if we just gave financially the way that Jesus would want us to, it would have a huge impact on the world, not just the, the needs that we would be able to, to address, but the fact is that the cynicism that we see towards us in the church in the United States, you see somebody, why do they reject God? And you say, well, I, I know this person who's a Christian, and their life's no different than anyone else's. They don't see the compassion. They don't see the love. You know, they, they see us say that we hold a certain beliefs, but then we, we don't really look like we do anything different because the world loves their money so much, and, and the reality is uh, we look the same way. We love our money so much as well. If we really give it away, if we really give it to people in need, it creates a shock. It says, you know what, they, he really gave that away. He really is willing to do that for a neighbor. He's really, really willing to just let that go. Um, you really don't care. You, you're really uh, looking forward to the next, the next life. You see, Jesus is, is really countercultural, right, when it comes to money. He's countercultural when it comes to our generosity. And the reality is... We know this, right? Jesus is, is a ton smarter than me, and he's probably a ton smarter than you, right? He is. And uh, my wisdom is, is finite. Uh, his wisdom is, is infinite. Uh, his wisdom is perfect. Mine is flawed. And so, 
just want you to think about from a generosity standpoint, what do we do with it? And so I, I'm going to close with just a few action points. Um, you know, one of, one of my goals as, as a pastor, especially in the Sugar Grove campus, but, but here as well, is to get us to, to reject the American dream, the dream for bigger cars, better houses, bigger bank accounts, better wardrobes, better vacation. I, I want us to reject them because the, thing, the things themselves aren't bad, but that re relentless pursuit is in many ways, many of our lives killing our souls. You know, we heard David talking, and we're at Sugar Grove is saying, you know, we talk about the financial needs. And uh, so the tough part as we're going through this series in rhythm, when we decided that we wanted to have a, a series focused on, uh, a, a sermon focused on generosity, it's hard sometimes to do that in the middle of financial need in the church because it comes across as, as uh, self-motivated or um, ulterior motives. The reality on, on generosity and what God's called us to is if that's, if that's where you feel, or maybe you've been beaten up by the church in, in previous eras, maybe you just are skeptical, I'd say don't give it to the church then. Give, but God can grow our generosity in lots of ways. We can become kingdom-focused in the way we invest our dollars. I think Village Bible Church is a great place to invest your dollars. I invest, we invest a huge percentage of our dollars as a family in the ministry of Village Bible Church because I believe in it. I see lives being impacted, lives changing. But if that's not true for you, then, then still take the steps of becoming more generous and find, I said somebody like Megan earlier, find a missionary, find a, a ministry like World Relief who's sponsoring refugees. Find ways that you can grow in your generosity and, uh, in eternal, and eternally focused things. So we all have good intentions, right? Probably all of us say we want to be more generous. But in the midst of all the coulds and the woulds and the shoulds and all of that, variety of reasons we don't we don't put our plans into action because we don't have a plan so i'm going to give you a couple uh different ideas to put into action i'd say do one of them do two of them go away from here and do a few all right so first one you need to decide to be generous right if you're not faithful with a little little scripture tells us you, you won't be faithful with much if you're not generous with what you have when you have a little you won't be generous with what you have when you have a lot you know a lot of us say you know if i can i just make a little bit more money uh, then I'll be able to, to give to kingdom-oriented things. But the reality is that never changes unless our heart changes and we begin changing that now. An idea that, uh, that I thought was a great challenge, make a commitment today. I think it was Larry Burkett. When Kate and I first got married, I'm not sure who said this. I think it was Larry Burkett. Gave the challenge that in our American culture, the American dream, is you know as is to continue to increase our standard of living that our kids would increase their standard of living and as we go from out of high school to retirement that our standard of living would go up and up and up and his suggestion was instead of increasing your standard of living his, his real challenge was increase your standard of giving and uh, it's been a good goal you know as as we've had opportunities to see an income step up a little bit are we stepping up our expenses to go right in line with it are we taking those opportunities to to step up our giving. So one thing that everybody, I would say, could walk away from here and do, uh, an idea called the 1% challenge. Take what you're giving today, and uh, whatever it is, if it's zero, if it's you know $10,000, if it's $100, take what you're giving today, 
and just commit that over the next 12 months, you're going to increase it by, by 1% of your income. So if your income is $50,000, 1% of that is uh, $500, right? That over the next 12 months, you would increase by $500. What would that be? About $50 a month. They'd say, you know what? I wish I was at 10%, but I'm at nothing. And I'm not going to get from zero to nothing and, 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 and right away, but I can make a gradual step. I can take a 1%. I can give $50 a month. Or uh, maybe they're at 20% giving, and they can take a one step uh, to another 1%. So the challenge in this whole 1% idea is to say today I'm going to give 1% more over the next 12 months. I'm going to start that today, but not to stop there, but to say, you know what, over the next uh, three or four years, what's my game plan? Could I do that 1% challenge three times over the next three years? Could I do it three times over the next two years? And again, while, while Village Bible Church has needs, there's lots of kingdom-oriented things that you could invest in. So I'm not saying do this and give it to Village Bible Church. I'm saying do it and give it to kingdom-oriented uh, investments. And, uh, but you have to have a plan. If you walk away from here without a plan, three years from now, you'll be exactly where you're at right now. At least if you're like me, without a plan, you'll be right where you're at. So 1% is an easy plan to say, yeah, I can, I can probably do $50 a month. And then a year from now, you realize, you know what? I didn't really notice it all that much. I could probably do that again. What was it two or three years ago? The big hubbub in Illinois when our state income tax went up. What was it, two percentage points? I think I forget what it was, but it went up. And everybody said, ah, everybody's going to leave and move to Wisconsin and Indiana, and everybody's going to be gone. Well, we're all still here, right? You're all still sitting here, and you probably never even really noticed that increase. I don't want the government and the state to go taxing us more, but the reality is we absorb it, those little changes and don't notice it a whole lot. Uh, the next one is just to give first, to automate your giving, to give in ways that just happens. If you're always waiting to give when there's something left over, it's never going to happen, right? It's just never going to happen because the money's always going to get consumed. If you give first to those things that are important, to those kingdom-oriented things that are God's growing in your heart, give first to them. Do it in a way that happens automatically if that's, if that's a challenge for you. I know for Kate and I, most all of our giving is, is automated, and it just... It just happens um, because then we don't have to remember to do it. Our heart's still there, but, our, but our, the function of having to do it every week or every other week is, is growing. Get control of your finances. Um, I know you guys did a financial piece here uh, last year, and I'm not sure what the plan is for the coming year, but there are some great studies. I know in Sugar Grove we're going to do a crown study this, uh, this fall, and uh, if you have a desire for that, I would talk to your elders and say, hey, we need to do another financial study, because my family, we need to get control of our finances, we need to develop a budget, we need to develop a generosity game plan for the future, and we want help with that, and uh, I know the guys would be thrilled to do something here if there's a desire for that, so I would encourage you, if you need that, to speak up, and let's, let's do something about it. Um, get involved with God in the process. Uh, get involved, and uh, don't just say you're going to be more generous, you're going to start giving to eternally focused things, but but really pray and say, Lord, where would you want me to invest my time, my money, my energy, and, uh, and really seek God and uh, find ways to do that as God would call you. Consider your surroundings. This is one that uh, I had never thought about and uh, read a book uh, this earlier this year. Um, and, and he said this. I'm just going to read it. I wonder if you've thought about it or not. He said, consider your surroundings. If you build a life that's separate from people who experience great need, if you build a life that's separate 
from people who experience great need, you'll always struggle to be a generous person. In a large part, the people closest to us determine what we desire. So surround yourself with people who are in need so you'll desire to meet needs. If you surround yourself with people living in excess, your desires will become even more excessive. Generous people live in community with people who benefit from their generosity, which makes for a fuller life for the giver. Oh, it's really interesting. You know, we build up all these walls to protect us from things that we don't like. And, uh, and the reality is we do spend time with people who have more than they need. Maybe we spend time with people who have more than we have, and we want what they have. If you think about spending time, it may not mean moving and you know where you live. It may for some of you. But uh, how do we spend our time? Where do we invest our presence? Are we with people who have needs? If we are, God will grow our hearts and we'll, we'll be more inclined to say, you know what, I can meet this need rather than buy this new gadget. I can meet uh, the needs of this family or this community. It's much more impacting to spend my dollars here than to spend my dollars on myself. So consider your surroundings. That's just a huge thing. You know, some of you, I know, you know, Emily has some of you uh, working in the after-school program um, at, uh, is it Macaulay? That's what I forget. Wait, she says no. What it, Brady, that's what it is. Um, you know, are we investing time with people who have needs? Some of you work with the World Relief Refugees. Some of you are doing things with uh, families and, and people in need, and a lot of us aren't. And um, the last one I would say is to take time to share your stories. The reality is, you know, sometimes when it comes to generosity, we, we, we're, sh we're, we're reluctant to share our stories because we feel like it, it could be prideful. Uh, you know, if, uh, uh, if, if Chuck has a, a great story of how he felt called to, to give to a need and then he saw God bless through that, Chuck says, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody because it'll sound like I'm just boasting. But, but the reality is, when we stand up and give testimony of how God's worked in our life, when somebody's baptized up here and talks about how God's worked in their life, they're not boasting about what they've done, right? They're boasting about what God has done through them. And we've got to find ways to share what God is doing through our generosity because we won't learn and we won't be stretched and we won't be encouraged by what God's doing in your life if you're not finding ways to share it. And uh, so we've got to find a balance because we don't want to, we don't want to just you know, prod some uh, an issue of pride, but we do want to learn from each other and we want to be blessed by the stories of how God's, how God's working in our lives. So let, let's just you know, close with saying we, we, we can admit the obvious the New Testament call to discipleship, compassion, and giving in many ways, in many ways leaves no room for the many, the way many of us live and think, right? It just doesn't leave room for where we're at today. It's time to get beyond that theoretical stance of I'd be willing to give up anything if God called me to do it and actually start giving up things uh, in order to do what he's commanded us to do. So it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. I, God grows us all in different ways at different times. This is where God's been really challenging my heart in the last couple of years in this area of generosity. Am I really willing to give away more? Am I really, really willing to trust him that uh, he's faithful? Am I really willing to invest in things of his kingdom rather than my little puny kingdom here in this world? Am I really willing to do that? Um, you know, it's a big deal. The rich young ruler, if you remember, wouldn't leave his pursuit of riches to follow Christ, and, and he missed the kingdom. Right? He, missed, he missed the kingdom. It's not worth pursuing a lie and missing the kingdom. 
that's my that's my prayer for us all this morning. Let me close and pray specifically on that. And Lord, this world is so uh, alluring. It's so it's so drawing of our attention. Lord, uh, everything around us tells us we need more. We need something new that will make our life easier, will make our life better. We need to look differently. We need to dress differently. We need to drive differently. We need to be different. Lord, the world tells us we need just a little bit more, and, uh, and then we'll be happy. But the reality is we get that little bit more, and, and we still want a little bit more and a little bit more. And so, Lord, I ask that you would cause us to take the risk of uh, trusting you. Lord, cause us to believe that uh, your words to us, that uh, this life, uh, Lord, is, is short that uh, eternity is long, Lord, that we can invest, Lord, with a real kingdom mindset, Lord, that uh, makes an impact on your kingdom, Lord, that uh, blesses us uh, forever rather than the short-term investments of this world. So, Lord, just ask that you would grow us in small ways, if it's uh, a percentage at a time, if it's in big ways of giving up uh, chunks of time and energy, uh, Lord, to, to go and to, to know and to help and to serve. Lord, uh, if it's serving within this body of believers here, Lord, for some you're calling them to, uh, to step away from a hobby and to invest that time into lives and individuals here within this uh, church family. Uh, for others, it's uh, to set aside things that are uh, maybe fun but are pursuits of this world and, and uh, replace them with pursuits of, uh, of a family in need that maybe lives next door maybe lives uh, a community away, maybe lives uh, on the other side of the world, Lord, that you would uh, clearly bring opportunities before us, that you would uh, continue to give us more opportunities when we fail to take the ones you give us today, that you'd grow us, Lord, that you would stretch us, that we would be a different people a year from now than we are today, and that we would grow in our generosity because of your great uh, generosity and love for us. Lord, we ask your blessing. We ask you to change us. And make us more and more like you. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.